this is a great point because you know what we're hitting on is that there's a lot of misinformation that it seems that a lot of no, people, no. It seems that there's like one entire side of the political spectrum that gets all of their information from like tweets from Joy mm-hmm. Reid and other people on Twitter. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. And welcome to the Flyover Country podcast with Scott Jennings. I'm Joe Arnold, your host of your roundtable. Kevin Grout is back from Run Switch Public Relations. Scott is here, and Scott is here to introduce our special roundtable guest. Thank you, Joe. Glad to be with you all tonight. And in the hot seat tonight, our special guest panelist is none other than Sean Southard of Owensboro, Kentucky, an old friend of everyone at this table. Sean is the communications director presently for the Kentucky Department of Agriculture. He is a published columnist, a noted conservative scholar, a graduate of the University of Louisville and the McConnell Center for Political Leadership. Sean, welcome to Flyover Country. It's great to be here on the Flyover Country podcast after listening to the last episode where Joe Arnold pretended not to know anything about pop culture of the 1980s. I felt it was my obligation. What were you doing in the... Was Star Wars in the 70s? What's, what were you doing? Like, it's from the time this came out to, 70s, like, what were you 80s. doing? What, literally, what were you doing? I mean, I saw Star Wars. It just, like, I just didn't fall in love with it like everybody else did. But literally the rest of the country you is watching this. Like, what were you doing? Oh, yeah. Like, literally. <laughs> Don't embarrass me. <laughs> Here's the, I was a news junkie even then. I loved watching In the News with Christopher Glenn on CBS on Saturday mornings. I I, 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 I watched the Watergate hearings. I, I mean, this is serious. I mean, I, I always... I always loved news. I always loved journalism from a very, very young age. And so, not a lot of pop culture. Me too, but I also made time for the Star Wars movies. Like, I I don't get Again, it. I watched. I went to the movies. It was fun. I remember watching Sinbad growing up. That was, that was pretty fun. <laughs> I remember watching... I go from Star question. Wars to Sinbad. As, as, as a kid, or as a, t- a, a teen, like teenager through young adult, what is the best movie you ever saw in a theater? Like, what's the most memorable theater oh experience gosh. you ever had? As in my life or as a kid? Well, like as a, in your formative years, like in the time period of Star Wars when you should have been following. I remember following. when, okay, you can laugh. And I'm sure you will anyway. <laughs> uh, but I remember uh, E.T. was a really cool movie that came out at, at from my age. Okay, that's well known. That's right. okay. Spielberg. Not yeah, all the no. President's Men. Now, I didn't go to the movies to see that. Oh, I only saw that later on when it was back when it was on TV. Do you know what Indiana as... Jones is? Love Indiana Jones. Okay, all right. Absolutely. The same people who made Indiana Jones are in the Star Wars stuff. It's, it's, That's a redeeming quality. I, Harrison Ford, I understand. And, I, 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 and I've John seen all Williams. those. Oh, exactly. No, I love it. You know, and, we have more in common than I thought. Okay. No, I, oh, I, we I, have one thing in common. Just the, the, the science fiction stuff. I just didn't get as much into it. And plus, it was just... Here's the thing. I know that it, for the time that it existed, that the Star Wars like special effects were supposed to be really good... I thought it looked cheesy then. I, th- I thought it looked, it, it just, th- to me, this didn't seem very realistic. Do you know what, like, Ghostbusters is? Of course I, I, I saw it in the theater. So what you're saying out. is Star Wars is the only movie you don't know what it is. Everything else you know, somehow you missed Star Wars. I know Star Wars. I feel like this is an act. I feel like I, it's kind I, of an no, act. He, he, he does this. He, like, digs right, in on these right. weird things. What I'm saying things. is is that I know Star Wars. <laughs> I just didn't fall in love with it. I Who's saw the it? main bad guy in Star Wars? Darth Vader. Well, he's one of them. 
Uh, um. <laughs> Obi Wan Kenobi. No, he's a good guy. Uh. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just saying it. So, so I, I, right. I understood it anyway. So, Sean, let me ask you a question. <laughs> fly, over, <laughs> fly over country. You've heard these podcasts. I'm just curious about your thoughts in general about uh, why this podcast should exist from a flyover standpoint. Who do you hope to, that hears this perspective? Well, I think it's important for people, you know, in the Beltway or in New York City or other places to hear what normal people in real America think about the issues of the day. Uh, it's important for them to hear a kind of a perspective of what where the majority of America lives. And uh, I think that's the purpose of the podcast, and I think it's filling a void, really, in the podcasting space. You all are very intelligent people, and you all are very well read. Sean, I think, is among the most read of anyone I've ever met. Um, and so, no, I mean, I'm just saying is you're often bringing up, and not in a ostentatious way, uh, just very interesting, you know, uh, things that you've recently read, and we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later on. But I was going to say is that you're you're a, you're a good representative for flyover country to show that a lot of folks look at farmers, look at rural, look at you know folks in this in, in this part of the country as not just being up to speed, and, and you are a great representative. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, Joe. And I think that, you know, when my job at the Department of Agriculture, one of the things that I get to do, I uh, have a great honor of doing, is interacting with some of the people in flyover country uh, that grow our food, raise our food, uh, interact with those people each and every day, and it's been a great opportunity to get to know those folks. Well, at the very end of the program, the podcast, we're going to have a lightning round of questions for you. But the best, the first question to ask you, which is very appropriate for anyone in flyover country, is are you a racist traitor? <laughs> because at least one of, one of our fellow citizens thinks you are yeah. Joe Biden. Well, well so <laughs> defend yourself. You know, I think specifically Joe Biden said you're either with George Wallace or Dr. King uh, on Tuesday, and it's interesting because a younger Joe Biden uh, walked around and paraded that uh, George Wallace thought a whole lot of uh, Senator Biden, and so uh, since he's with George Wallace, I'm going to say I'm with Dr. King. So here is President Biden on Tuesday, followed by remarks on Wednesday from the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. But Biden first. There's one thing every senator, every American should remember. History has never been kind to those who've sided with voter suppression over voters' rights. And it will be even less kind for those who side with election subversion. So I ask every elected official in America, how do you want to be remembered? At consequential moments in history, they present a choice. Do you want to be the side, on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? This is the moment to decide, to defend our elections, to defend our democracy. Twelve months ago, this president said disagreement must not lead to disunion. Ah, but yesterday he invoked the bloody disunion of the Civil War, the Civil War, to demonize Americans who disagree with him. He compared, listen to this, a bipartisan majority of senators to literal traitors. how profoundly, profoundly unprecedented. Look, I've known, liked, and personally respected Joe Biden for many years. I did not recognize the man 
at the podium yesterday. So which of those two comments, Scott Jennings, is more damning, the unpresidential or I don't recognize this man? Well, I'm glad you, you pulled those clips and played them back to back because that, that is the debate and that is the conversation going on uh, in political America right now. And I think Joe Biden's rhetoric is so ridiculous and so over the top and so off the mark when you consider he's, he's presenting these stark choices about a problem that does not even exist. It has never been easier to vote in America. It's never been more in vogue to vote. We've had two elections in a row where the turnout was higher than it's been in a hundred years. Anyone who wants to vote, who's legal to vote, can vote easily. And everything they're saying about the fall of democracy, if you don't agree with me, democracy is going to die. You know, people can't vote. We're taking away people's right to vote. It's just not true. They malign Georgia. They malign all these states that are simply trying to go back to the rules that we had in place pre-pandemic. By the way, the rules that produced Democratic majorities in the 2018 midterm elections. That's it. That's it. And I know we're going to talk about you know, some of the Georgia law stuff. It's just flat false. And then McConnell comes along and correctly quotes Joe Biden's inaugural speech and compares it to Joe Biden one year in. And I think it's easy to see why Biden's presidency is floundering so when you consider how he sold himself as a moderate deal maker, as someone who was going to restore the soul of America, as someone who was you know, going to lower the temperature in American politics. And now he's calling half or more than half of the U.S. Senate racist traitors. This is not what he sold. And it's really easy to see why his approval ratings are in the crapper. And Kevin, it appears he's obviously uh, speaking to the base here and not reaching out to the other side. Exactly. I don't know who's writing these speeches and who's setting the agenda in this White House because it is not what the American people are looking for. It's certainly not what flyover country is looking for. We're concerned about no food being on our shelves, the prices at the tank going higher. You know, uh, are you going to be able to get a test if you need Highest one? inflation in 40 years. Right. You would hope, hope maybe that a, a president and a Democrat leader in the Senate might be thinking about that. You know, you said, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, Kevin and Sean. You know, you said he's not clearly not reaching out to the other side. He's not even reaching out to his own party. I mean, you've got, you've got, I mean, the key issues here are Joe Manchin of West Virginia, right. Kirsten Cinema of Arizona, John Tester, and probably a few other Democrats who don't want to admit it, but they don't want to eliminate the filibuster either because they're not idiots. They can see that the Republicans are on the verge of taking over the Senate and maybe the presidency in a, in a couple of years after that. And, and to say that he's not even reaching out to the other side, I mean, he's calling his own people racists, traitors. You know, people who hate democracy. As and a Christian cinema, Joe Manchin. Yes, and I, I mean, as a, as a political strategy, it's crazy for his presidency. As a legislative affairs strategy, you worked in the Senate. Right. It's insane. I don't even, if I were Joe Manchin listening to this, I'd be pissed off. You he, he, mean he's not going to be encouraged to, uh, wait a second, I, on second thought, after what the president said. <laughs> you know what? You know what? You're right. I'm reconsidering my racism oh, in light of oh, what Joe Biden is. being racist. Okay, let <laughs> me change everything. Uh, no, you're exactly right. And he, the president is asking for the majorities to rule, but 48 senators agree with him. 52 disagree with him. What, what's crazy, if you look at the social media too, out of Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, I don't know if you guys caught their tweets, but it, They've got this theme, and the theme is 
We can't allow a minority of people in Congress to block the will of the people. What do you mean a minority? There's 100 people in the Senate. There's 50 Republicans. There's at least two, probably three or four Democrats. I mean, I'm only but moderately proficient at math, but I'm pretty sure 52 to 54 is a majority out of 100. The big question here for you, Scott, though, and that to respond to that is, are you a racist traitor? Because they don't count. And so if you take out the racist traitors, and then of those people, the minority are having this way. I'm glad that Scott brought up. Vice President Harris, who's the greatest cleanup messenger that the Biden White House has ever had. Uh, because today, uh, this is Wednesday, she was quoted by NBC News saying about Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin, quote, I don't think anyone should be absolved from the responsibility of preserving and protecting our democracy. A direct response about those two senators that they need their votes in order to move forward with their agenda. It's like that they grew up and or took a training on how not to pass laws. I mean, so do you get to be, do you get the feeling, guys, that they've just give. I mean, clearly they've given up on this, and so this is all performative, right? right. I mean, it ha I mean, they can't be this stupid. So it it has to be performative for the left, I assume. Well, that's my question for you guys all, and because you're all political strategists at one time or another, is there any method here? Back to you know the whole thought of. You know, maybe this is crazy enough to work. You know, uh, that was my thought for a while there with Trump. Like, I, I didn't, I couldn't tell what the hell he was doing, but I, I kept thinking to myself, well, maybe there's a plan. So, is is there a plan here? If there is, they need to fire the strategist who came up with it. You said his approval rating is lower than it's ever been. It's lower than anything Donald New Trump ever had on Wednesday night from Quinnipiac. 33% approval rating. And, right. and listen to the trend. So, these, here's the last seven Q polls. 49, 46, 42, 38, 37, 36, and now down to 33. And I see all the lefties in my Twitter feed. This must be an outlier. This must be an outlier. I, I'm not sure. I mean, it's eight outliers in a row. I mean, I mean, this the, the, the trend is what you're looking for right. in polling, and the trend ain't good. You know, Sean, you brought up Harris, and I, I just I just feel like we have to talk about this quote from her speech that day after Biden. Years from now. Our children and our grandchildren, they'll ask us about this moment and let us tell them we secured the freedom to vote. Now, we just had the highest turnout election in 100 years in 2020 and also in 2018. And I am surprised to learn that in 2022, no one has actually ever had the freedom to vote until Kamala Harris came and made this speech. And here's the thing. It's such BS and everybody knows it. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows Their own people know it. And, and the fact that they're continuing to plow forward, you asked about the political implications of this. I get the feeling the speech writing team wrote this and they were very pleased with themselves. Joe Biden gave the speech and they're all high five. I've been back there. I've been back there behind these presidents. They're all high fiving. And then the eyebrows started to raise when they started to look at their Twitter feed. And now here we are a few hours, a couple of days out of this and it is an abject disaster. I, I hadn't thought about this until this very moment, Scott, and, and this has to do with political agendas and personal ambitions. And when you realize that maybe in campaigns, too, that when you maybe you're not don't, you don't necessarily, necessarily uh, believe the candidate's going to win, but maybe you believe that this effort is, is something is some vehicle for your own personal crusade. But, but, so are there people, in other words, who are this is their chance to kind of flex their muscle and to do what they believe in, and they don't really they care, but the 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 out the outcome is is incidental. But but okay, fine. I accept that I accept that there are people who who you know you're essentially fighting for something that's important, even if failure is is a likely outcome. 
but do you have to be full of shit in the process? I mean, I mean, that is ultimately the issue here. If you if you were sincerely striving to solve a problem that existed, then I, I'm I hear you. They are not solving any problem that exists. They're, if you want to vote in America, you can vote. It's right. never been easier to vote. All right, fact, fact check time. Kevin and Sean, help me out. Scott is 100% right, as always. That, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that both the 2020 and 2018 elections were record turnouts across the board. And, and by the way, what's important about that is in 18, we had the pre-pandemic rules. Right. And then in 2020, totally true, a lot of states changed their rules on the fly. So you had two elections under both circumstances and both had record turnout. So we proved in a pandemic and out of a pandemic, it's never been easier or more in vogue to vote. Exactly right. And so some of these bills that Biden is talking about are in reaction to new state laws that are being passed that are trying to readjust following the uh, kind of emergency orders that happened in the middle of the pandemic. I mean, he was in Georgia. If you just take a quick look at the Georgia voting law, uh, it requires voter ID. That is a non-controversial and widely supported. It's so widely supported. I think Stacey Abrams got on board with it eventually after calling it racist, but now she supports it. It's Jim Crow, but it's supported overwhelmingly by a majority of Americans, including 69% of black Americans support voter ID, by the way. Uh, And then, you know, they're always talking about this um, provision that you can't give out food and water to people in poll lines. That's, that's just a basic prohibition on electioneering that is pretty ubiquitous across the country. Poll watchers can set up a water fountain. It'll be fine. There was a case years ago in Kentucky right. uh, of, of someone who was basically got in trouble for handing out fried chicken exactly. on election day. You know what the average wait time to vote in 2020 was? In Georgia. What was? You know, it was three minutes. Three minutes! <laughs> Three minutes. If I didn't have a if bottle you of water, can, in three I mean, minutes. look. I mean, and look. You know, and you know, I'm where, not going to make it. <laughs> three you can't go without food and water. I didn't know You know where else it's illegal to give gifts when you're voting? In New York, in hmm. New York City. Now, illegal immigrants can they, vote, right. but you cannot give you cannot give anything to anyone in a voting line that's over a value of a dollar. So now, under the Biden inflation, with Dollar General increasing their yeah. rates from $1 for a bottle of water to $1.25, guess what? No water in New York City during your elections. People are going to be, I mean, the, I can't even begin to They're understand gonna be the, the pandemic of thirst we're going to have on election day. This, three, this is going to be the worst three minutes in American history. Right. Unbelievable. There were lines longer than that, just to be fair. The in some average places, time but to vote. Might be able yeah. to get a package of like liquid IV, but no water. And just, under the Georgia, the, and, and Kevin, tell us, under the Georgia rules, the early voting periods, the weekend periods, it, the, 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 the polls are open Actually longer. increased. Increased. Added increased. new days in Georgia. It's, it's more voting time in Georgia than New York. New York. Delaware. Where the president is from? Delaware has never had early voting. 2022 (laughs) will be the first time you can vote early in Delaware. Well, this is a great point because you know what we're hitting on is that there's a lot of misinformation that it seems that a lot of... No. No. It seems that there's like one entire side of the political spectrum that gets all of their information from like tweets from Joy Mm. Reid and other people on Twitter. You know, but it's not not just restricted to the political branches of government. You know, I was thinking about some of this in context today against the Supreme Court arguments on vaccine mandates. You know, Sotomayor goes on and and with great conviction and uh, great confidence states that there are hundreds of thousands of children who are on ventilators when it's like just completely erroneous. And, you know, when, when 
old Glenn at the Washington Post is fact-checking you, and you're on the left, you know it was egregious. And not only did they fact-check Sotomayor, then they had to go back and fact-check the people who were trying to smear Gorsuch on a transcription error. Hundreds, but, comma, thousands. But right. you wonder, you wonder, the people at the highest levels of our government, the people running our government, the most powerful people in the world, live in such tiny and flawed information bubbles. And this is what we get. This, this, is, this is what we get. And it's astounding, and it is, it's frightening, candidly, that they're operating. They're either the biggest liars of all time, or they truly are the biggest idiots of all time. I, I'm not sure which is, but neither is a good outcome. What else about Georgia and the laws? Anything else we should know, guys, in, in your uh, exhaustive research? Uh, I think I'd like to go vote in Georgia. If I were a Georgia resident, uh, go do it. Uh, Texas also made it a lot easier to vote in a lot of ways. Uh, the Atlantic put out a pretty scathing article um, in, in last summer, just across the board. Um, I'll, I'll actually quote from it. Although Democrats like to call out Republicans for, to, for trying to suppress voting, the states they control in the Northeast make casting a ballot more difficult than anywhere else. And, 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 and regarding the Northeast, I want to throw this in because here's where I think they're headed. This whole conversation about voting rights and about people needing to be able to engage in the process, it's all happening at the same time something else is happening in New York City, where the Democrats who run New York City just passed a bill to allow 800,000 non-American citizens to cast ballots in the city elections. So you've got Joe Biden and his people out screaming and lying about you know, how supposedly hard it is to vote in all these towns and cities and states across America. And then you got the Democrats in New York City legalizing 800,000 non-citizens to vote in their elections. Something insidious is happening right now. It's more than just rhetoric. There is a plan. There is a plan. And they're going to get there because first New York City and, and if the Democrats are allowed to liberalize and federalize our elections in this country, they will take the New York City model and it'll be all over America. This is the other side's version of Donald Trump telling uh, Brad Raffensperger in Georgia, you need to find me 10,000 X votes. Yes. It's right. the same thing. Basically, right. we need to find the votes however we need well, to. However, however that, No matter what it is, it's justified. That's exactly what their HR1, S1 is trying to do. It's trying to nationalize and federalize how every state conducts its elections, ban voter ID, force states to allow ballot harvesting where a political operative can go around and collect ballots from nursing homes on the side of the street, wherever they want, and turn them in. They're trying to make one size fit all, and what works in Kentucky may not work in California, and what works in New York certainly doesn't work in flyover countries. You know, standardizing election laws means states can't do what's right for, for their own state. I mean, the decentralization of election laws is, is a strength of America. And by the right. way, it, right. it, it's what protects us from you know election meddling and, and election interference. It pro it protects us. But imagine a world where you have a federalized election standard and somebody says, you know, I think this standard ought to include non-citizens. I mean, we have a lot of non-citizens. Right. Millions of people right. live under our laws and they pay taxes and they're here. And I just think it's been working in New York City. And by golly, I think in Kentucky we ought to. And in Tennessee and in Oklahoma and in Indiana, we ought to have them voting there too. So this is not just anti-Republican, Sean. This is anti-Republic. In other words, as far as small R republicanism. I like what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, there, there's this old idea in America called federalism. Yeah. And it, the idea is you got a national government and then you have state governments. And they do different things. 
they work together. They work against each other sometimes. Uh, they're allowed to have diversity, which I understand is an idea that a lot of people care a lot about. Uh, diversity of ideas in particular, diversity of policies. And uh, this whole entire debate about uh, voting rights, whether it's the U.S. Senate trying to, to debate getting rid of the filibuster, whether it's uh, whether or not we should force a policy on every single state rather than have each state develop their own policies, the laboratories of democracy, as they were so-called. Um, this is all about a one-size-fits-all plan for each and every state. Kevin, do you have one second? I'm going to read a quote from Chuck Schumer because this, <laughs> this strikes to it. How can we in good conscience, this is Chuck Schumer, how can we in good conscience allow for a situation in which the Republican Party can debate and pass voter suppression laws at the state level with only a simple majority vote, but not allow the U.S. Senate to do the same? So basically, it is a federalism issue here. Well, while we're going with Chuck Schumer there for a second, I don't know if you guys saw Senator Tom Cotton, Tom Cotton yeah. the great senator from Arkansas, got up today and gave a brilliant speech and fervent fervently believed speech defending the filibuster, and the entire time he was quoting Chuck Schumer. You know, Schumer, back in my day uh, working for President George W. Bush, Schumer, Dick Durbin, and Joe Biden were among the three leaders of the filibuster, the judicial filibuster wars during the Bush years. And there was a famous uh, situation involving a, a Bush appointee named Miguel Estrada, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. who was one of the most <clears throat> highly thought of uh, conservative lawyers in the country, Hispanic, you know, just a brilliant guy. Bush appoints him to the circuit. And Schumer and Durbin and Biden, and, and, and specifically Schumer, you know, they go down to the floor and they were actually quoting, you know, George Washington, yes, we're filibustering judicial nominee because George Washington says we got to slow these things down and we got to put them in the, the cooling saucer. Later, later, a memo was uncovered from the staff, the Democratic staff in the Senate, saying that Estrada was, quote, a dangerous Latino. Why is he dangerous? Because they put him on the circuit. George W. Bush might put a Hispanic on the Supreme Court, God forbid. They literally filibustered this man because of his race. They filibustered him because of his race. And now today, I have to, you know, the old Bush guy, I have to sit here and listen to get lectured about the filibuster and if I oppose changing the filibuster, I'm somehow participating in some kind of racism when these Democrats filibustered a Hispanic qualified guy literally because they didn't want a conservative Hispanic on the Supreme Court. It is the worst, nastiest hypocrisy, and it makes my blood boil. And, and I think these Democrats are vastly underestimating people's BS radar for all this. Let's also not forget that Joe Biden campaigned on keeping the filibuster. He was against removing the filibuster the whole entire time. He sat down and did many interviews about it. Uh, and so now his position is, well, this position that I've held on the filibuster for 80 years, I now disagree with. And if you now disagree with me, you're a racist. And the reason so, so many... So was he a racist like a year ago? Is, is that... The well, position that we're in? That's standard. The reason so many Democrats give for needing to get rid of the filibuster now is, well, when Republicans are back in charge, what makes you think yeah. that oh. partisan hack Mitch McConnell isn't going to do it? And Scott, I have a question for you. Has there ever been a time Gosh, with Kevin. a Republican president mm. wait a second. Uh, let, me, let me just see here. trying to convince well, wait, wait. Uh, a majority what leader would be different, though? What's, what's different now, though, Kevin, is that right now you have Biden as a Democrat and, oh. and, and the Senate as Democrat. They're the oh. same party. Oh, that, oh. 
Has that happened recently? I, I just, think. I'm just trying to think here. Think gee whiz. Not in the long. Oh, wait. Gee whiz. Gee whiz. Oh, my gosh. You know what? Something comes to mind. Literally, Donald Trump beat the ever-living crap out of Mitch McConnell to get rid of the filibuster virtually every week of his presidency. And Mitch McConnell could have caved, mm. could have said, you know what, fine, I hate these Democrats anyway, let's just do it. But he did not. When you see somebody on TV using this talking point, by the way, it, n- discount everything they say from forever because it is literally the dumbest, most uninformed analysis you could possibly give of Mitch McConnell, the Senate, recent history, whatever you want to call it. It is absolutely vapid, devoid of any insight whatsoever. You also hear this talking point about, oh, well, look at all these senators, and they only represent this number of population. Ugh. And the then, worst. Yeah. <laughs> Just the and worst. You know, okay, you know, back to Republic. The, <laughs> these people seem to not understand that, you know, the Senate there is there to protect flyover country. Yes. Right. The Senate is literally flyover country's one opportunity. Here's the problem, though. <laughs> one opportunity. Here's the problem. is The flyover country is racist and traitorous. Oh, I see. I keep, see, and this, I, this, I keep getting caught up on that. And ultimately, and, and, and the, I'm so glad you're here, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the fact that because the underpinnings of this entire nation are racist and traitorous, none well, of this is is, is uh, applicable. This population argument, we haven't talked about it much on the on the pod, but it is interesting because you do have these, you know, uh, you know, the elite liberal opinion leaders out there constantly talking mm. about the math of the Senate. But you know, it's it's funny; they never ever seem to remember that Harry Reid, the majority leader for a long time, was from a very small population state. Tom Daschle, the old Democrat leader, from a very small population. Bernie Sanders, the beating heart of Democratic policy today. I mean, I don't know how many people live in Vermont, but I know it's less than Texas. And so why does Bernie Sanders' vote count the same as Ted Cruz's vote or John Cornyn's vote? It is, the again, the, the absolute emptiness of what they have to say about all of this and the thing is, I think they believe it. I mean, I, I think they, to the, you know, in the green rooms and in their bubbles and in their offices, they, they must be so proud of themselves. But everybody is on to it. It doesn't work. It's not going to work. They are in for an epic freaking beatdown in this midterm. Is there anything, to put a bow on this, what is the outcome of of this issue, of the filibuster and this voting rights reform legislation. We're making predictions? Yeah. Kevin? Uh, I mean, look, I think there's only, I mean, look, it's clearly going to fail. Right. I mean, I don't, unless, unless we've all been there's snowed. A vote. Oh, I guess the one thing that's, that's, that's different, though, is that there's the House now is going to pass it first. And send it as a message to the Senate. It doesn't matter. They can't break. They can't it's break. It's still going to run the, into. That's, that still they gives. They still have to file closure. What's, what's different though is is that that gives them a chance to to talk about it on the oh, Senate good. floor. Oh good. Oh good. They're going to take all of Joe Biden's discredited arguments. Right. And well, go down to the Senate floor and, and then make fools of themselves. The, and the, the hypocrisy. The problem of it. was they just hadn't talked about this. Well, enough. here's my question. Speaking of uh, racists and traitors, <laughs> it's one thing to talk about that in a, somewhat of a campaign speech in Georgia. Will the Senate, as far as decorum and tradition is concerned, will people be called racists and traitors on the Senate floor? A hundred percent. They will yes. go to the Senate floor and at a minimum imply right. that the people on the floor tonight are racist are and racist and traitors and that they're that they hate democracy, that they prefer autocracy, that they want to hurdle the United States toward dictator. 
you bet, you better believe this is going to be one of the worst nights in American history for incivility in the U.S. You Congress. Have, you have already seen Nancy Pelosi go in on the Sunday shows saying that basically what the Republicans are doing in Congress with holding up this bill is a continuation of January 6th. Yeah. They, they, these talking points are done. If It doesn't matter how you voted, whether to uphold the election results on January 6th or not. You, yeah. you, you are just... If you if you voted to uphold it, if you don't agree with them on this one particular issue, you are just as bad as the QAnon shaman who <laughs> sat there in animal pelts and horns. I, I was listening to my and look, she's my friend. You all know I am very fond of Jen Saki, the White House press secretary. I've known her for years. We've done a lot of TV together over the years. But today, she got presented with a question in the briefing. Mitt Romney was very critical of Joe Biden's rhetoric in his speech, and she went off on. Mitt Romney and said, well, I think what's even more ridiculous is someone, you know, sitting around for the last four years and doing nothing while Donald Trump, you know, destroyed the country. He voted to impeach Donald Trump twice. If there's any Republican in America who's been harder on Donald Trump than Mitt Romney, I don't know who it is. She said hilarious. It was hilarious. I just, I I do not. Gut busting. I mean, it it is, I, I, I really think the White House team, I think Joe Biden's team is stunned at just how everyone is panning this entire effort. I think they were caught flat-footed and off-guard by Stacey Abrams not showing up for the speech. I think they were caught off-guard by the civil rights groups that were boycotting the speech. I think they're caught off-guard by the reaction. I think I think they really thought they were hitting one out of the park here, and it turns out it was a big old swing and a miss. So that's the uh, the filibuster and the Georgia voting laws. And in the meantime, we had Mitch McConnell, of course, on the floor you also had another Kentucky senator uh, making some hay this week, Rand Paul, questioning yet again Anthony Fauci in a Senate committee on Wednesday. The, the email you're referring to was an email of Dr. Collins to me. If you look at the email that you responded to and hurried up and said, I can do it, I can do it. We got something in Wired no, magazine. No, no, no. I think in you usual did. fashion, Senator, you are distorting everything about me. Did you First ever object all, to Dr. Collins's characterization of them as friends? Did you write back to Dr. Collins and say, no, they're not friends, they're esteemed scientists, and it would be beneath I, me I did to not do that? Be, you responded to him that you would do it, and you immediately got an article you, in Wired, you, you, and you sent it back to him and said, hey, look, I've got him. I nailed him in Wired of all scientific That's not what went on. You there you go again. That you was just your do the same thing every hearing. That was your response. Rand Paul. I love it, man. Anthony Fauci. I got to tell you, when, when you were distorting everything about me, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I just, by the way, Rand is not incorrect about this. Mm-hmm. And, and what's happening, though, I mean, the, the broader issue here is all the science, not the science, but the science, a.k.a. Dr. Fauci. A lot of the things they're having to admit and say today are in complete contradiction to what they were doing at the beginning. And I know we've learned things, and I, I get it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not ignorant of all that, but they have been at times extremely opaque with the American people and with Congress and Rand Paul of Kentucky. I don't agree with them on everything. We have a lot of divergent views. However, I have to say he has been brave enough to take on Mr. Science himself and stay on it. And, you know, it's, it's a good thing. I mean, this is... This What's is interesting to thing. me is that the, the country seems to have shifted 
toward Rand Paul. Yes, right. Early on, he was more in the minority here, and Rand, been... Anthony Fauci was still somewhat of a cult hero. Right. See, I pay attention to the pop culture. And uh, <laughs> Did but, you buy the magazine, Joe, I did that he was the on the magazine. cover of the fashion magazine? I did not. Okay. <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> you don't but, subscribe to that? I, I'm still... I'm starting to see some, some hearts in your eyes there. I'm saying... But I'm saying is, but look how it shifted. I mean, at, at this point, and because the problem is, and to your point, is that we all believe in the scientific method, and in terms of the the, the, the great innovations of our of our world and out of science. But the the reason why science has worked over the years is because we don't stop. It's not settled science. It's that you keep questioning, and you keep exploring, and it seems that with 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 Anthony Fauci, it's like, no, I said so, and that's it. Well, I think people are listening to Senator Paul now more because he's been right time and again. It eventually comes out that everything he's been saying that uh, Dr. Fauci's wringing his hands about, Senator Paul was right. This this issue that he was raising, you know, th- these these uh, you know leaders in our public health regime were working to denigrate these scientists who at the beginning of this were saying, whoa, 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 we have some some ideas here that need to be put out into the public space. And they were being squashed. They were being squashed. Well, the concern, was, the, the concern was it was going to make China look bad. And, and, the, and the Chinese scientists look bad. And they didn't want to do that to their colleagues in China. And they said, so as a result, let's, let's stop this. Well, and just on Tuesday night, lest we forget Congressman James Comer with uh, Jim Jordan, Congressman Jim Jordan, just discovering more documents suggesting that uh, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins conspired to keep the lab leak yeah. theory away from the White House. Mm-hmm. I, I tell I mean, you, this, 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 this thing, first of all, by the way, Kentucky is at the epicenter of this, you know, with McConnell poised to become the majority leader again, with Rand Paul, the bulldog on this, with Jamie Comer set to be the, the chairman of the Government Reform and Oversight Committee. Kentucky is really going to be at the epicenter of digging into all, I mean, they already are, again, we already are here, but, but it, it, Come come November, and then January, uh, <laughs> Kentucky once again is going to find itself at the middle of American politics. You guys are all again political operatives. What did you think when you saw Anthony Fauci holding up a printout <laughs> of the Rand Paul campaign website? He was complaining. Of course, his picture was on. There's this fire Fauci, right. but then he actually pointed out there's tabs on here to donate. He <laughs> <laughs> kind of reminded me. I need to. I need to make one. <laughs> a lot of very happy Rand Paul consultants that day. <laughs> if I were Rand Paul, I would. I'd clip that testimony and I would just throw some money behind it. Yeah, put right. it up just on the internet. Air it everywhere. <laughs> but just, I think, here's how you do here, it. Here is a, here's an ad to fire me. Now, this man wants to fire me. Here, here's how you can help. Yeah. I think you're pointing at a, a reason why people are trusting Dr. Fauci less is because what scientific researcher or medical doctor is getting into these partisan spats like that? Well, his, he, came, he came with the printout right. prepared now, to throw it. His perspective on this is that, and of course, Rand Paul is the absolute last member of Congress other than Steve Scalise that you can complain about as far as being targeted with threats. Right. Of course. And uh, because of his the, the attack on, on Rand Paul, actually two attacks, if you think about it, in terms of both the... the and he and his wife were mobbed coming out of the uh, right. RNC Three. speech. Yeah, I'm he, was, he was on the baseball field right. when Scalise was shot. He was by a Bernie Sanders supporter. Right. Uh, he was, of course, attacked by his, his neighbor in Kentucky. And he was, uh, and he and his wife were accosted there, uh, coming back from the inauguration in, in, in D.C. But Fauci, now here's the thing: we all agree that no one should accost politicians. You shouldn't camp out on their lawns. You shouldn't make their homes unsafe or their people unsafe. You should attack them, if you will, with words. It's fine. You can you can criticize, and it's right. fair. But the idea that we should somehow stop discourse. 
because some people might get so upset about that and, and take it into their own hands in different ways. I mean, where does that end? Well, if, if Fauci, you know, you're either in the public space or you're not. You know, you're either a political actor or you're not. Now, now Fauci's job, by the way, he is the highest paid federal employee, which I find amazing, but he's been in a long time. <clears throat> he's chosen to take a job that is, that is a bureaucratic job. I mean, this is a, a bureaucrat science position in the federal government. He's not elected. He's not the press secretary for anything, but he has chosen to become a political actor and a political combatant. He has chosen to put himself in the public sphere. As you pointed out, Sean, he has chosen to sit for a photo shoot for a fashion magazine, for God's sakes. This, this person has not shied away from being world famous. I mean, he is on every talk show. He goes to, he's on the Sunday shows just about every weekend. He's doing the night show. I mean, this dude has put himself out there. And so for him to show up, with a piece of paper complaining, well, they, they put my picture on something. Can you believe it? Well, yeah, because you put your picture on everything. But I do think it's a legitimate question. Should a federal bureaucrat of this nature be so disdainful of the Congress that has the job to oversight the executive branch? He works for us, he even not said, for himself. He even said during that hearing, we're here today not to talk about that, but this. Look, no, if you're in, at a congressional hearing, you're going to talk about... You're there to talk right. about what Congress wants right. to talk There's about. There's this thing called the oversight authority, right? Yeah, <laughs> but, but see, but I think, I think when, you, when you... I think Fauci views himself as an entity above, floating above the rest of the structure. That's the medical profession in general. Sorry, doctors who are listening. There's somewhat of that kind of that feeling of... of but but when you combine that, that, you know, being an expert with with power, with government power, there's something pernicious that happens over the course of time. And this is what Paul, Senator Paul's hitting on, is this, you know, conservative, it's been a trend in the conservative movement since its very beginnings of that there, when power and expertise and scientists all get together, things happen and they're not always good things. And so it t we tend to be skeptical of these people because bad things have happened in the past. Now, I'm not casting aspersions that people have bad motivations, but that's where people are coming from. By the way, Anthony Fauci, before coronavirus, is a genuine American hero as from in the medical profession. And what he did with, during the AIDS crisis, and I, mean, I think he received a, a, a Medal of Freedom from George W. Bush, right? Yeah, I, now, I will say, I, I didn't, I'll be candidly, I didn't know a ton about this guy before mm -hmm. coronavirus. I do know people now that question you know, some of his actions in retrospect. On, on, I think in, he's had a great career, and I think well, it's he's unfortunate. Well, he's had a long career. Yeah. I mean, he's been around, he's been <laughs> he's around a long He's made a lot of money. That's what you can yeah. say in the federal Unfortunately, government. Unfortunately, Donald Trump has ruined a lot of people, and I think he ruined the Democrats. And what's going on right now, I think Joe Biden became Donald Trump Democrat, you know, in terms of his style and what's happening and the extreme nature of and, and the ends justify the means. And I think Donald Trump ruined Anthony Fauci. Yeah, Fa Fauci's, um, I mean, he, he's not, it'd be one thing if he were an elected official or if he were even like an a, appointed political leadership, you know, if he were a cabinet secretary that had been confirmed. Mm -hmm. This guy's a federal bureaucrat. He's a, but, but I think he views himself as at a minimum equivalent to, but probably above. And I'll tell you, I've seen it in politics for a long, I mean, I, we've all been around people like this. The more people are surrounded by people telling them how great they are mm -hmm. and how right they are and how stupid everyone else is, people start to believe their own crap. Right. And and we're now a couple of years into everybody worshiping this guy. And so the idea that he would have to sit there and take criticism from somebody, I mean, don't you know who I am? I mean, he gives off that vibe. And I think every time he does it, 
it, it undermines public confidence in our overall federal public health regime, which we cannot afford right now because they've done quite enough you know, to damage themselves in the eyes of the public already. That's Scott Jennings. You can find the Flyover Country podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and check out our interviews on YouTube. And leave us a voicemail, your response. If you are a racist traitor <laughs> or not, <laughs> speakpipe.com slash theflyoverpod. Speakpipe.com slash the Flyover Pod. You can leave your comments there, and perhaps you can tell us about your favorite Star Wars movie. Or if you just want to bully Joe, because that That's seems fine. like what the rest of us are I would doing. like to encourage people. You're going to get us deplatformed, Joe. <laughs> Sean <laughs> Southern is here, again, a communications director for uh, the Kentucky Department of Agriculture, the Commissioner Ryan Quarles. And it's time now for the famous Flyover Pod lightning round. We each have two questions for you, Sean. I'll go first. Kevin's, and then Scott will bring us home. All right. The most underrated Kentucky agricultural product is? I think I'm going to have to go with sorghum. Oh, sorghum. That's wow. For those people who are listening on the coasts, what is a sorghum? <laughs> it's like a delicious molasses syrupy. Have you ever made sorghum? I've never made it, no. But I always get my fill of sorghum at the state fair because it's right outside my office. Tell the people what you do. With it? The what you, do with it. you like dip cookies in it. You can put it on Made bread and biscuits. Toast. Biscuits. A lot of folks back home. Lots of put it on the biscuits. Yeah. Um, can I? Can I say another? Can I? Because I would split it up. Uh, this is like this crop is like, and maybe like this livestock. Is like, okay, this is thunder and lightning round. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, lamb. Yeah, it, you know, that's like a once-a-year type thing. Usually, for me, it's a fancy farm. You get the mutton yeah. down there. and well, see, then, from Owensboro, right, again. from Davis County, you know, mutton's yeah. big. Yeah. Mutton is huge. And so uh, we actually have a, we have a thriving lamb. And, and for those folks listening outside of Kentucky, Davis is spelled? D-A-V-I-E-S-S. That's right. Yeah. Not Davies. All Try right. that at home. Uh, so we've made a big deal that apparently you, you read a lot of books. <laughs> apparently, apparently, you claim to have read a few reading? books. I, for the record, I did not claim anything. How many books do you read a year? Do you have a goal? Uh, I typically read between twenty-five and thirty-five a year. He sent Joe uh, some some talking points to read. They're all just novelizations of the Star Wars movies. And they so are. Joe, well, well that, that's what I want to get. A lot of them. A lot of them are picture books, Joe. So right. even you can get through them. Here's a, here's a William F. Buckley coloring book. <laughs> okay. It is actually just different covers of National Review over the years. And just... Would you give up books or give up Marvel movies? Marvel movies. Now, because I, yeah. I think they're not as good now. By the way, wow. the Eternals was just released this week. Don't don't watch it. Oh, don't see, I think it's. That I haven't so seen it yet. I've been I've been holding pedestrian it. that you wouldn't appreciate this. This is great <laughs> science fiction. I'm sorry. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here's my question. Given all of your work in agriculture, and I'm sure you've been to many farms and many state ag installations, have you milked any animals in your official capacity? <laughs> Any animal at all? In my official capacity, I've not milked. How about any in your? Animals. How about in your personal capacity? You've been milking anything in your personal capacity? <laughs> no, I can say honestly, neither neither scenario. I have milked a cow before. I actually, okay. I have done that, but not in my official capacity. I'm utterly devastated. Uh, I went down. You are not milking things. In, Isn't I mean, that part I pay, of the job? I pay your salary. Yes, that's true. You are a public servant. You know, there is the a clause department. that says other duties as assigned, but. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm cow milking. Your boss. Commissioner Quarles, I want to know why this guy's not milking stuff. You just need to stick to your chickens in your backyard. Okay? Yeah. Have just, you have you have you tended to any chickens? I, have, I feel like I'm doing more agricultural work than you are, and you're getting paid. I've to inspected do it. your uh, your little chicken farm. That, doesn't, that doesn't count as an egg farm. <laughs> I actually uh, I actually filed a report, and I said we need to look into this. What one. is the most egg thing that you've done then? The most ag thing that we. 
Yeah. I mean, that I you have done personally. Personally, I think probably the most agriculture thing, it's not like going to a farm or, or a, you know, traditional uh, agriculture sort of business, but, you know, every year we go to the state fair, and I literally work at the state fair for two weeks in a row. There's oh, plenty of stuff there that could be milked. <laughs> <laughs> the most I think he's done, he's, he's read everything Wendelberry's ever read. So. <laughs> that true? Not everything he's ever read. But, but I've, read I've read some of the stuff he's read. All right. All right, next up, lightning round. Favorite quote? Favorite quote? Yes. Golly. Crazy, crazy quote. Um, it's so well read. It's hard to pull right off the top of it because no, he has favorite ones. Oh, but I'm sure he's got a lot. Yeah, well, one of my personal heroes is William F. Buckley. Is you know we made the joke, uh, but I think one of my favorites is his his line that uh, liberals always say that they want to give an airing to other views, but are shocked to discover that there are other views. Yeah, that's and a good so one. that's that's a good quote. Can um, you do a, a Buckley impersonation and repeat it? You know the the accent is pretty difficult for me. Yeah, to do. okay. All yeah. right. How about uh, you? No. No. <laughs> okay, I'll just talk about it. Where are you going on your next vacation? Next vacation. Uh, you know, I don't have anything planned right now. Uh, that's a pretty lame answer. Okay. So. Uh, nothing? No. Like, Dream? Plan? I mean... Life. Nothing at all you're going to do of any of, that might be of any interest to anyone still listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I would like I would like to go west. I've never been. Ah, now there. I've now never been to some of the. You know, I followed your trip, Scott, yeah. on the social medias. Uh, yeah. I've never been to Mount Rushmore. I've never oh. been to the Grand Canyon. Oh, I'd man. like to do a trip and do some of those like quintessential Americana spots. Yeah, we ought to have you up to. We ought, we ought to have the pod up to Boston this semester. You know, I got to start. I'm teaching my class at the Harvard Kennedy School again this semester. We ought to have the pod on location. We ought to get up to Cambridge. Do they allow racist traders at Harvard? <laughs> Easy. Come on. Yeah, I've been on that campus. <laughs> <laughs> Jared chiming in. We're recording this at night. Jared uh, was doing this from his uh, sleeping bag over there. <laughs> uh, all right, here is my question. You're on a desert island for the rest of your life, and you can take three movies with you, and only three, and you've got to watch these three movies on this island for the rest of your life. What are they? As I wrote this question, by the way, I was thinking about what mine might be, and I'm having trouble narrowing it down. Right. But I, I have I have some thoughts. But Sean, I want to hear what you have to say. I think I would take. You got to take Castaway because you're going to need. You're going to kind of need a how to a how to about how to survive. All right. uh, so I definitely would take Castaway. Uh, my second one, uh, I would probably take like uh, an old Hitchcock film, like. Uh, North by Northwest or something like that. Okay. Um, third movie. Third movie. What would that be? What would that be? No. <laughs> no, see, I'm like an old movie buff, and so I'd probably take something like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, too, because I like that. I, I just, I'm a sucker for the oldies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. you probably, you probably take Mr. That, that's Smith. That's his top yeah, movie. That, that's, that's my top movie. <laughs> we have two things in common. Frank Capra. Hey. Right there. All right, Scott, take us home. Uh, are we done? Is that all the questions? That's it. Oh, I had one more for Sean. Can we can we extend the lightning round? It's it's the flyover country with Scott Jennings. Oh yeah, I guess I can do whatever the, whatever the hell I want. Okay, <laughs> good. Now, like a, a strong, now I've got several storm. more pages of notes that I intend to read. Everyone silence and extend my remarks. <laughs> <laughs> I just wondered because you're so well read and you're constantly reading new books. I assume there are some books that you're also fond of rereading. And I was wondering, is there a book or two that you you reread because they're so meaningful to you? Yeah, so um, I tend to 
read every year a very thin book by C.S. Lewis called The Abolition of Man. And um, it is it's known in, in some you know conservative Christian circles, but it's not really widely known by the wider public about Lewis's nonfiction that he did beyond mere Christianity, uh, which were a series of radio addresses that he delivered during the war. Um, but I think that uh, The Abolition of Man is really good. And Lewis kind of wrote side by side, so he'd write a nonfiction work and then a novel. And so uh, The Abolition of Man kind of goes along with his lesser-known fiction series. It's a space trilogy, a science fiction trilogy, Joe. This is crazy. Uh, <laughs> um, that involves interplanetary travel. Uh, but he wrote this alongside uh, the third book in that series called That Hideous Strength, which is really good and also has applications for our current time. All which right. is a trivia question. I actually didn't realize that he actually does a bit part in The Return of the Jedi. <laughs> yes, I, I was an Ewok. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you. This has been a great panel. This is good. Sean, you did a terrific job. Uh, we have some great stuff coming up on the floor. Wow, we've had some really good guests. Mm-hmm. The last guest we had uh, was, who did we just, Eric Erickson, Erickson. Who did it? My buddy. Uh, your buddy, Sean, and I think a great radio host, Joe, your old radio guy, and Eric's kind of mm-hmm. uh, blazing an interesting trail. Um, Independent. And uh, so if you haven't listened to the Eric Erickson pod, we've, we just recorded this week an amazing interview with the governor of Oklahoma, Kevin Stitt, who I think is a real up-and-comer, somebody to kind of keep an eye on in, in future cycles. Uh, this coming week, we are releasing our interview with the Thread Man, Drew Holden. If you are a, a conservative on Twitter uh, or a big uh, political affairs sort of aficionado on Twitter, you have seen Drew's famous Twitter threads where he just eviscerates people. And uh, anyway, we had a long conversation about what he does and the nature of media today and the nature of fact-checking. And so that's coming out this coming week. We are going to be recording some interviews with some folks who are not political necessarily. We're going to do some uh, more cultural and lifestyle stuff coming up that we're pretty excited about. So great guests, good panels, good times. We appreciate everyone listening to Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab coming to you from the heart of middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Five-star reviews will help us keep making the content that you love. To find my latest television hits, columns, and other commentary, go to scottjenningsky.com. And you can also find me at scottjenningsky on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening, and talk to you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, Make sure your seat backs and folding trays are in their full, upright position. Cabin crew, please take your seats for landing, and thank you for choosing Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. 